Welcome to Unashamed and Afraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, James. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Jane, how's it going? It's going well, James. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I'm super excited about our next guest. Actually known her since we were kids. We grew up in the same neighborhood. So our guest today is Marnie Bound. Amazing individual, dancer, life coach, all the things. What did you like about this episode today? Oh, man. Hope. That's my thing. It's just full of it. Full of hope. Yeah. The word I've got for it, wisdom. Yeah. Like wisdom that was hard fought through just some tough experience. Yeah. So today's episode, Marnie talks about what it's like when it doesn't work out and what it was like to go through um, divorce and to find marriage again. So everybody put on your seatbelts, buckle up, because we're going to hop in the studio here with Marnie Bound and then join us in the bonus content with her husband, Mark. Jane, how are you? I'm doing well, James. How are you? I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. And I'm also so grateful to have Marnie here with us uh, today. Thank you. So this is going to be a little bit of a different episode, listeners. Usually we're sharing stories of, you know, men and couples in recovery and yay, we made it. And this is one of the stories where it didn't quite work out like that. Marnie, why don't you kind of start us off, just kind of give us a quick synopsis of what happened in your story? Yes. Okay. So I had been married for 21 years. I really believed I was married to my best friend and we had four children together and I didn't know anything was really going on on the side. And I had found pornography on the computer within the first year of marriage, but then after that, it was nothing. And until I really found it it was actually right after our 21st anniversary on Christmas morning on his work phone. And it was a complete shock. I mean, so much so for the person that I thought he was, I believed that his phone had been hacked. Like this was a massive mistake and this couldn't be. And anyway, from that moment moving forward, my whole lens changed of how I saw him, how I saw my life, how I saw my children, my religion, everything was kind of in question at that point. And it began my journey of understanding what betrayal trauma was, what addiction was, and where my life was going and this unknown life that I was moving towards where I kind of lived that complacent. I thought I was living the perfect you know, life with my family and being the cheerleader to my kids and their activities. And everything changed from, from that point on for sure. Yeah. So you discovered the pornography. Did you confront him with that? Take us through the next three or four months. Yeah, he had been communicating with other women. And so when I first came across his phone, it was totally by accident. I actually thought it was my son's phone. And 
entered in the family password and it was a conversation that he was having. And I went out of that conversation to find several other conversations and the content and everything was so shocking. It literally made me physically ill and which woke him up. And then he came, woke up himself. And then I put his phone under his pillow because he was searching for it. And then he responded back to the girl. So I waited till he fell asleep and I went over and that's when I realized, okay, this is really real. So for me to watch him that next morning, again, as this potentially different person and trying to make sense of what that was. But then in that, our conversations that we had to have with the children, because they could tell that there was tension, they could tell that things were not right. The one thing that wasn't very common is that we didn't fight. And so the kids were confused in this communication that we had with them that dad was going to be moving out. And the older kids had a better idea of maybe some things that were going on, but the younger ones, it was just really a confusing time. So after that, I felt like it was really important for me to get educated. And I had texted actually my therapist that Christmas morning. Who Mm. else do you text and ruin their day? But I had already been going to a therapist because he had texted he'd wanted a divorce kind of that later summer. And Mm. so that was a tender mercy for me for sure. And she was the one that brought up that she thought he was a sex addict. And to me, I had no understanding or comprehension of what that even meant or was. And luckily, in talking to my church leader, we were able to get to a addicts and recovery spousal support group. And I had talked to my husband about him attending some as well. I, we had a mutual friend that her husband was an addict in recovery, and I had talked to him, and he worked in Las Vegas. And so It was this connection that they were going to be able to meet up and he could be an accountability partner. And I was just trying to get educated. For me, it was amazing because it opened my eyes to hope that there was a possibility to recovery Yeah, and working out in our marriage. I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. And certainly in that time, what I thought maybe was three months to then six months became year two, three and just kind of kept going. That was really uh, tough. Again, that betrayal trauma of pulling on a string that just keeps <laughs> unwinding more and more and, and me not being able to trust myself. So really getting to the point of wanting to work with him and his unwillingness or desire to do so. He really wanted to maintain his life the way it was with kind of this double life. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I knew knowing what I knew, I could not do that right anymore and so I knew the watch your feet not your mouth was key for me and I I didn't see it in his feet so it got to the point where for me I I felt like I was at that fork in the road where divorce was the possibility and I felt like I had made so many choices up to that point in our our marriage and it was wanting him to choose and he I would ask him what do you want and then if you don't want me, then let me go. But I don't know if I have it in me to continue this life of how we've been living, knowing what I know. And I literally was dying inside. Like my soul was withered up. And so I just didn't even have it in me. I knew I needed to put that energy to my children and to getting healthy myself and letting 
him get turned over to God and mm. letting God kind of take over that part. Yeah. So having multiple emotional affairs, multiple like affairs or like what, what was kind All of the it, acting out? What? Yeah. So to be really specific, it was involving financially supporting prostitute strippers and pornography had been an issue now I had known all throughout our marriage and affairs on and off. Mm. I think people have a different version of what is cheating, whether mm -hmm. pornography is cheating or not. But certainly I had a lot of people even reach out to me that had told me things later that would have been really helpful at the time. Anyway, so that was mm. really the shock. I, I remember yeah. feeling like I wished it was just an issue with pornography, sure. where at one time that seemed so scary and daunting. But it, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I'm, you know, clear that that just rocks somebody's world, right? Right. Just the shock and the odd that, so the, I mean, this, thus the betrayal trauma term, like it is a trauma event. And so you're like, well, if, if he's not going to change or whatever, then this is, you're talking about divorce coming onto the table. Right. We might have some listeners that are in that situation right now where a spouse is just, you know, to your point, I'm watching the feet and the feet ain't moving. Mm -hmm. How did you get the courage, the strength, the the whatever to, for your feet to move? Like what caused your feet to move in this? Yeah, that's a really great question because I felt like even being prayerful, I was in my own numb state, but I also didn't ever believe that God would tell me that divorce was an option. Mm. And Although that was my prayer to know, I felt like in a decision like that, I needed to know so strongly without a doubt. And I had uh, felt like that was the possibility. I knew I needed to see certain things in order for that to happen, to stay together. But I also knew that the more I educated myself on divorce and what it looked like and maybe what my options were, and kind of building up something that what I needed to see from him first in order for him to even move back home. And I feel like for clients, that's kind of the similar, this fork in the road is like, I already know what to expect. I already know what I get. And I remember feeling that like, I can't imagine going and dating in your mid forties that I'm not going to run into some similar things. And so you know, you have the the financial part, you have the custody part, all these different aspects of divorce. And it's really scary and fearful when you're uneducated in it. I'm fortunate enough that I have my dad and my brother with a legal background that had connections for me. So I was able to understand what my options were early on. But then I also, in being prayerful, once I had made the decision, it really was a moment of seeing my son that I knew I didn't have these years in me of trying to wait. And then I made that decision. I, I was going to get a divorce. It was the answer to my prayers came in that all of a sudden these people that I have known for a while were reaching out like friends from high school in my neighborhood about divorce where really had they reached out to me even a week earlier, I would not have been in a place to hear what they had to say. And literally it came down to a postcard in the mail about some financial stuff that ended up sealing it for me. But even in that process, I kept doubting myself. Right. I kept thinking there's no way this can be the right route. Yeah. But then it would be reinforced with these 
solid evidence of reasons why I needed to keep moving in that direction. And it was the right choice for me. Yeah. So is there something that you felt like that you needed to see or not see? Like, how did you, like, what were you waiting to see from him that you were like, okay, if, if this happened, then I would stay or, or what were, what made you decide for me, this was enough. And, and for me, I knew that I needed to go. What were what were those signs for you personally? What was mm-hmm. what were you looking for? So I was so new in the process. I feel like there are so many people that I work with or know that had this years of kind of working through that recovery or knowing of the acting out. Where for me it was this kind of blind side. And so with what new education that I had from going to these support groups and listening to podcasts. I just needed him to even just choose me, just point his feet towards me. And I couldn't understand how he had known that we knew what had happened, that what he had been choosing and still in a way walk over us crying and leave to go do that again still. And in my mind, I think I thought, well, you're caught, so you're going to stop, right? It's you. You saw how bad that hurt us, so you're going to change. And he just never did. Mm. It was, I think, and I understand as addicts in recovery talk about it too, the relief of kind of the information coming out. And I think there was that for him. But instead of making that as like, I'm so sorry, or man, I want to fight for my family and choose and work hard to make this right. Instead, it was kind of this, okay, this is me. And this is my acceptance now uh, that I want you to accept me for who I am as that person. And so there was a lot of confusion in me as I felt like this mask that he'd been wearing fell off and I, I didn't know who he was. The person that I thought I knew he was, I didn't know anymore. So I got confused in that yet the way that he still treated me or was to me was not a way to choose or be remorseful or trying or I, I, I want this. And when I would ask him, what do you want? He could not say that he even wanted to be with me. He, he didn't know. He, he wanted mm. it to go back to normal, but that it couldn't be normal. Marty, as you're sitting with your husband and he doesn't even know what he wants, Do you feel like it took you a little while to gain that courage for yourself to say, okay, I'm making a decision now? Or were you waiting for him because you wanted him to choose you? I absolutely had that time of wanting him to choose me. I I prayed for that. I prayed for him to want to be with me, to want to work hard to see that I could forgive him. To, and I would tell him, this will be the hardest thing we will ever do. I don't even know how I can do it, but I want to, and I'm willing, and I will do whatever it takes. And again, going to these groups, I saw that there is a lot of hard work that has to go into it. And I was willing to do that for him and for us. But Again, when I'm asking him and he just doesn't know, and that is the consistent answer, I finally even said, "If then let me go. Just then tell me to go. You know, if you if you don't know, because I'm 
I'm going to keep trying. And that's where then I really had to get to the point of my prayer changing from, please let him choose me. Please let him pick me and see me and let me get through this to, please let me have the courage to leave and to really turn him to God. And in that moment, I talked about seeing my son. I really did envision myself as, as if I was holding him back, hmm. like holding him from trying to be what he was wanting to be and what he was choosing and over this cliff. And I literally had to let go and, and be at peace that I was turning him over to God, that God knew him better than I did. He knew where he was coming from. He knew his mindset. And that even for me, I thought, okay, maybe we just get divorced and then he can work on his healing and then we can come back. But I knew that I needed to focus. I didn't have any more extra energy at that point to keep fighting for him to just choose me, let alone work hard on himself too. Yeah. like how that you could see there that you had to give him to God. So was have you always been close to God like this? Have you always been able to trust in him? How has God been for you in your life? I've always had a really strong relationship, especially with prayer, to God through prayer, uh, even as a young girl. I would say that throughout my teenage years, even so, and but really a massive turning point for me was my mom got diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was 15. I was the youngest only girl. And so she died when I was 18. And that was the first time in my life I really came to understand the atonement and God knowing me and all that I had gone through. And I felt so alone and nobody else could understand. And that really created a strong foundation for me where fast forward, you know, 20 plus years, and now it's someone else's free agency that I'm in this same kind of situation and, and knowing that God knew me and knew what I was going through. And especially I needed to know that for my children, that he knew what they needed because I felt so thin and what I could give and everybody was having their moments and the grief cycle. And, but I always knew that God knew me. So let's say we have a listener here who is like, okay, I, I would like to turn the corner. I think it's time to go. And, and they just don't know what to do next. What, what tips can you give them? What advice would you give them right here? Like in this, at this crossroads mm -hmm. that you reference, like I have no clue what to do. I don't know what education to get. Yeah, that's the scary part. I, again, I, I feel like the divorce often, and I refer to this mm -hmm. as kind of that you're at the edge of this dock and you feel like divorce is kind of this end, this dead end, but really it's getting you to jump in the water. But part of that is educating yourself on things. And just like anything in this whole recovery process, it's getting yourself with support from people. And I think we get scared to ask for help. This sometimes the healing journey can be very alone because we don't want to feel needy. We don't want to feel like inadequate or that we just don't want to burden other people. But I felt like, again, I had the luxury of having access to legal advice. But 
that's one thing I encourage is once you can understand what your options are, it helps. And it is weighing out these options because divorce is not easy. Right. Staying and leaving are both hard choices. The thing that's hard about divorce and going that direction is you're going in a place that's unknown. When you stay, you have an idea of maybe what to expect and there's kind of that comfort in there. And a lot of times I will even ask my clients, would you date the person that you're married to right now? And most often, well, I would say every time it's no. But the idea of doing that again or being a single mom or all those things are really scary. And I'm even embarrassed of my own perceptions of what divorce was and a single mom. And so it's kind of stripping those things away and getting in touch. There are so many groups and people around that have experienced divorce that are familiar. And so it's really getting and educating yourself now in that avenue. You've really been diving into this recovery world. Put that same emphasis and energy into then this new life and divorce and what that looks like for you and the unknown that's to come. What are some of your stigmas about divorce and being the single mom that, you know, you kind of had then that that you came to realize were like, oh, that was kind of bull. What would dispel a couple myths for us? Yeah, for me, I would say that I thought it was, you know, it always there's always two in this story. Or what did he do or what did she do or what do they not do? Or that single mom must be so unorganized or unable to really be present with her children. And there are certainly aspects because you are pulled in so many directions that that is real. But I I almost get emotional because I know how hard these single moms are working to make everything work. Now they are the mom and dad and in a lot of ways. But I also know that there are men that get to have an opportunity to be a better dad than they ever had when they were married. And so there are benefits that can come from it and that some children can get the best version of their mom and dad. They just aren't together. And yeah, I didn't understand the community that's involved. There's a lot of hard stories behind divorce that people have. And just the whole dating thing is its own animal and super interesting as well. Did religion play into any of the stigma around divorce for you? It didn't for me. Uh, I did have a reflection of people that I did know that were single moms, and I applauded and valued and empathized with them more that I knew how hard it was to get their kids and go to church and be there by themselves. And my son that was the youngest, he was eight years old at the time, got asked to sing in our church choir, and it was about families. And... I just remember thinking, this is so hard for me to have to explain to him. But I still stood back and felt like all these concepts still apply to me and to my family. Absolutely. That divorce does not separate that for me. And I have felt really like it's been a blessing that the way that church has correlated for me and divorce and being single has not been difficult. I know that we are all broken. I know we are all facing problems that 
you know, how we talk about church as a hospital and just because I'm there by myself with my children doesn't make me any different than other people's struggles that maybe people don't know about, but that everybody really does have. And I feel like me and because of what I went through, I became more of a safe person for people to share with, to be like, I've had hard things too, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's okay that we talk about it and that we share more so than, oh no, there's like the single mom and her kids clothes. I have boys, so right. They just throw it on. (laughs) (laughs) You make it to church and you're, you're glad how they show up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of all these single moms or women who are stuck in their choices right now, where some of them are waiting so long for their husband to choose them and to really choose recovery. But it's hard to make that choice. But I think just listening to you, you were throughout your life being prepared to make this choice. Mm -hmm. And when you were able to take a look at yourself and be like, okay, my prayers changed. I'm not fighting against what God sees as best for me. I'm accepting. Now I can move forward. Right. So it's just, it's beautiful. I love it. And so I guess the question would be for me there is what shifted in you for that change in prayer? Well, I really do believe a lot of that was wanting him so much to come to me, to to choose me, to point his feet towards me. And it just didn't happen. And this recognition, even though my bar was so low of what being chosen was, because even though I didn't know what was going on, I certainly was not unaware that I wasn't really being chosen. I was very low on the priority list and actually was okay with that in a lot of ways. I really believe it was the acceptance of knowing what kind of a mom I wanted to be and knowing how I was physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, I was so broken down. I was so in need of direction. I I wanted the magic ball. I wanted people to tell me what to do. I didn't want to have to make the choice. And I feel like as I was praying to see, you know, what I should do, that the answers, even though I didn't want to see them as answers, kept being, he's not choosing you. And that's a really hard thing to accept. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when I had been making excuses for him for so long about things and the gaslighting, believing what he was telling me about myself, about our relationship, about who he was. And it was this, I always refer to it as the frog in the boiling water. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, I was kind of being pulled out really slowly. And it was a really painful thing to realize he really is not choosing me. I don't think I could do that alone, like just for me, but it really was for my kids. Mm-hmm. And knowing I have to be a mom, like I've got to get healthy. I, I can't keep living in this negative. I, I won't make it. Yeah. I will not make it out. And And really, again, that recognition of God and his role in our life. So in our church, we have a meeting that they have an opportunity to kind of talk about maybe what happened in the church talks about 
the membership and maybe what would be happening going forward. And um, my church leader gave me the opportunity to come in and share a letter. And I was really, really prayerful in that process. I knew that there was a lot of information that I had, most that I didn't think he would also share, but I didn't want to be the one to uh, be a reason why they had decided one thing or the other. It was a really difficult weekend because I also had been on the phone with a girl that he had been financially supporting and she had been pulling me up on three-way calls. And so it was like this opposition of hearing him talking to someone else, him not knowing I'm there, him talking about me and this manipulation and lies and again, wanting him to choose me so bad. And he wasn't, but then turning again to that prayer. So you have this total opposition in that praying to see him for how God saw him. And I felt that so much in there when I got to read that letter. And I got to tell him how much we love him and we are fighting for you and that God knows you and that this process of healing is possible. And I not knowing the outcome at that point, but I felt that so strongly. And I believe that that was really a turning point for me to realize that God was so much more aware of him than I could ever be. He couldn't see me. He couldn't see us. And so that was the turning it to over to God. I kind of my mom being sick with cancer. I knew there was nothing I could do as I was watching her die slowly. Fasting and prayer and turning it over to God was all I could do to say, I, I can't take her pain away. I can't extend her life or heal her, but I can make that sacrifice and so that you can. And that's really, I think, kind of that analogy, learning that earlier that maybe went to later in my life at that time, I would say. Yeah. So at this point, you kind of feel like, okay, I'm just going to turn him over to God. And at this point, I, I know that I've just got to now go. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I think a lot of you know, our clients, your clients, mm -hmm. this is that stuck moment where they yeah. just don't want to make that decision. Mm -hmm. How do I make a decision to just move one way or the other? How do I get there? Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's two questions in that. And the first one would be that I feel like the struggle is this is a person that I love right. and I have seen them at their best. Right. I have seen them when they're doing well and in good spaces and as a father or mother, or, you know, whatever these roles that they hold. And also as the church or society talking about how we, you know, families and to keep them together and for better or worse. And that is also built in that, that at what point is worse that you let someone go? Like, I mean, when you make that promise in a marriage, you're willing to commit no matter what. And so I would say that that's a portion of why people continue to accept. And again, they've been in situations or even I was where it was a very abusive patterns that I had been and for so long, it becomes your normal. And I'm sure you've met with clients too, where you are looking at them like, this is such a bad situation and wanting to help them see there's other options. And they 
can't. They are they are in it and it is this slow process of removing them and letting them see and as they separate and there is this knitting, you know, and, and tie that you have in a relationship and emotionally even that when you have your person, but then when you realize that person doesn't really have your back or isn't really your person, it's hurtful, but they're still your person. You still yeah. have a family, you still have children. What steps could they take to maybe just get out just a little bit to, to get a taste of, oh, maybe this isn't so great. What are your thoughts or what did you do to start to get a sense of, wait a minute, this isn't the best situation. So you got education. You said mm -hmm. you started to go to a support group. Right. But I would say the separation, even though he traveled a lot and was gone quite a bit, the home felt really toxic. And I always felt that was me because I'm there and with the kids. But when he actually had moved out and was removed, it was like this dark cloud left Mm -hmm. and I started gaining more confidence and seeing things clear and that helped me again it was a very painful process because these are truths that are really hard to hear and really hard to see and and to feel especially I mean when you're feeling those and you're so numb like you know they're they're deep so I would say separation and boundaries I had no idea anything about boundaries until having gone through the process of the separation and divorce and and then being educated on the abuse and realizing oh, Darvo and that's our communication. And for those that don't know, Darvo is the deny, attack, reverse, victim, offender. And so I started recognizing those patterns of how he would communicate that I would try to express concern. And then it would be how it was my fault all of a sudden and how I'm not doing this and and then all of a sudden, I, as if I'm this terrible person for asking for help. And so those little pieces of education also helped me start to see, okay, this this is not good. Th- these things need to change. These things need to be different. And it kind of started creating a list for me of how I wanted to see his feet yeah. even uh, pointing towards me. But uh, even that earlier question you were talking about, I would say that with clients, it, it is so personal people's timeline. And there are clients that have felt like they needed to stay, mm-hmm. even when it's been so really bad. bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And knowing, and then it even really does end in divorce and them questioning why, yeah. why was it that I was asked to stay? And I support that yeah. space for them and really try to reiterate that for them, that your journey is different and it's independent. And, and unless you really do have that, strong conviction or inspiration that it is time to go if you're still kind of in that middle space like you really have to get there on your own and uh, because we've had plenty of guests that got that strong impression yeah i guess i i need to stay mm -hmm. and it worked like the the spouse changed he Mm -hmm. he would turn around and he finally would choose i mean chris and autumn are a great example Mm -hmm. of that right yeah so you're right it's just Mm-hmm. That is super personal for everybody. And it's let, giving them permission to let it be personal. Yeah. yeah. Because I think that the outside world of everybody wants to give a lot of opinions. And I think that's hard when you're trying to find support from people, or especially family, then they kind of develop their opinions. And then if you choose to say they're less supportive, and so it kind of isolates them and then they don't want to share, which is kind of tricky, but it is letting them know that where you are at and what you choose. And as a life coach, that's where I get to be 
your advocate and support you where you're at and listen to you because other people are going to give their opinions. I mean, I remember people telling me not really having all the information. Mm. Oh, you you have to stay there. Divorce is never an option. Like that's absolutely, I come from a divorced family and you you can't, you mm. know, and believing you're, you are so desperate to get help. Again, the magic ball, you know, to like sure. give the answers. And so you really do weigh heavily other people's opinions. But when you're in that space to really trust your own judgment until you really know. And I'm sure you've had this experience too, where as they're communicating to you, you can see how the answers are coming to them of where they are pointing to them or where it is maybe a time to go. But without them coming to that own recognition on their own, it's just not as powerful. They just... Well, and it's not our job yeah, to tell exactly. them where to go. Right. It's not our job. <laughs> so... Right. All we can do is present the paths and the options for them and let them, you know, give them. And that's why I'm asking you is like, well, what could be some steps I could take to to test the water of mm-hmm. do, do I know that it's time to go? Do I know that it's time to stay? Mm-hmm. And what are some practical, you know, steps to just start to get a sense of how can I even get my head clear mm-hmm. for somebody who's been gaslit, abused, numbed out? And just doesn't know, right? Because it creates so much confusion, especially when that bomb drops. All of a sudden, your sense of even being able to understand what is real and what's not. Right. Was my intuition ever real? I thought that God told me to marry him. Why would God tell me to marry him in the first place? And why would God then tell me to get out? Like, I thought this was forever. Or, right, I, I get all of those questions are going on. Yes. And it creates a super confusing place. Mm-hmm. And so what you're, what I'm hearing you describe is this coming to yourself of learning how to trust yourself again. Right. And separation was a first step in that for you. Right. Now, I'm imagining you thought that that was temporary. I did. Right. We did a separation agreement. There were specific things that he had to do in order to be able to move back home. Yeah. It sounds like you did that therapeutically. That was actually advice from an attorney that had said that, but my therapist was also helped on more the boundaries, emotional space Mm -hmm. and kind of helping me recognize where, again, how do you see someone choosing you or honoring a boundary or things, you know? So you actually were becoming aware of what you really wanted and what you needed. I didn't even know. I feel like even in that process to ask to be chosen again, I felt like I was so low on the priority list willingly that to say that I just needed even communication, you know, of, but there, it just, there wasn't, it was no, there was no fight or desire or anything. In some ways, I think he had just like, okay, I'm caught. I'm, I'm willing to go and just leave quietly. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, did not make that choice. And so for you, you got the divorce and what happened to your heart and your soul and your spirit as you went through what I can only imagine was a very difficult journey afterward. Yeah. I like you talked about that whole betrayal trauma, the shattered life. I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know what was real. Again, we talk about a timeline and you've been married to someone for 21 years that you think you know that you don't. And 
there's a lot of grief and in a divorce process. Yeah. And I work with clients a lot through this. It's very similar to a death, but you mm-hmm. still see that person. And it is untangling this emotional disconnect of this was my person. We used to talk about the children and what the day was like. And all of a sudden, this is not my person. And they don't have any best interest for me at all. And so that mindset is really difficult. And that grieving process, that absolutely. And it was abandonment too. Uh There was a lot of this, what's wrong with me? And what, what, how was I not enough? And certainly through some of his communication to, to me or to other people about why the divorce had happened, you know, I had to really build up this force filled and look as if he was shooting bullets at me. And I kind of got to take him in slow motion. And some of the bullets I got to look at and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I can accept that. And I, I want to be better in life. And I get an opportunity to do that. And other things I got to say, no, that that's not true. Yeah. And, and even though I feel like he was still gaslighting me in my head, even though I wasn't around him, these thoughts about what he wanted me to believe that weren't true. So I had to go through a whole new identity and, and really my therapist worked with me of going back to before I knew him and remembering what I like and who I am and all those things. And it was really a, an amazing experience to remember yeah. who I was and that I still was that person. I just, a lot of it had died. Yourself again. Sure. And there's a certain aspect of motherhood that you kind of get lost in that as yeah. well. But here I'm supposed to be putting together a dating bio and I know how to organize carpools and really good <laughs> crockpot meals and all these things that I I didn't know who I was. And I would say that was probably one of the most devastating parts of the betrayal trauma was not trusting in myself. Even more so not, you know, than not knowing what our life looked like or what was really true because I really did get to the point where I got to accept that my truth of me being a mom and who I was, was all true. So despite not knowing what he was doing or what what that was, that what I knew to be true in those experiences were true for me. Yeah. But I loved the opportunity to remember and laugh and be the way I wanted to be. And my kids certainly have recognized and and loved that part too that I get to have like light again. It was almost like I got to genuinely laugh and enjoy life and not feel like I was dying inside and didn't know why. Yeah. So who have you found? Who are you now, Marnie? So I love that I get to be a life coach. I love that my story is so many other people's story and I get to be a voice for them. There are so many that are going through uh, what I have or am and don't get to talk about it. And I have people reach out where they have their kids. They're like, you articulate what I can't say, or this is exactly how I feel. And I remember when I had those experiences of that's me and, oh my gosh, I relate exactly to that too. And that makes sense to me. And so I love being able to help people. I really do feel like it's a spiritual experience that you it's like I get to be a conduit of God letting them know that they're loved and to listen and empathize and cry and and know that they're going to be okay no matter where they're at in that space that they're okay so 
that's a part of who I get to be, you know, professionally. But on the other side, I'm now remarried mm-hmm. and I have my four kids, but then gained five more children and my oldest son got married. And so now there's an even dozen. And I never believed that I would ever get married again. That was not going to be me. Just the whole trust issues and independence and and needing to just focus on my kids. And God's plan was different for me and put a lot of tender mercies in place for me to be able to be remarried. And I love that I feel like my life has picked back up and that hope is restored and that I get to navigate this new life with someone who has a different but similar situation. But I get to value him even more because of going through what I have and knowing how hard it is for him to choose who he has always lived to be. And I love that. I love this reboot that I even get as a person, that I get an opportunity to be a better version of myself too, you know, that I got to take the bullets that I wanted to change and become a better version of myself. And like, I, I want these things or through my healing process of just, you know, you, I had to learn through the red flags and yellow flags and red flags and what are deal breakers. And so again, I didn't think I'd ever find someone, Yeah. but I love that I have that knowledge too. And I got married when I was 19 the first time. So getting married now when I'm 44 and it's amazing and that we get to build this life together moving forward with these kids as they're getting older and it's really special experience. That's awesome. So as we, as we start to wrap up here, is there anything that you would say to maybe that woman or I guess man of a spouse who is, who is betraying and cheating and not wanting to move their feet what advice would you give to them right here as I, a as a parting mm-hmm. parting word to not give up on hope and that god sees you and knows you better than you know yourself and i think sometimes we put hope in things that we know and sometimes it's having faith and hope and putting it in things that we don't know mm-hmm. that are to come and If you would have told me four years ago that I'd be sitting here where I am right now, there's no way I would believe it where I'm now willing to go through the hell that I was in before, that dark hole of space that you sit in, you know, numb to get where I am now. And again, it's because God knew. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was in front of me. We talk at that end, the edge of the dock, like I had to jump in the water. And I didn't know what that was going to be. And I love that God knows us and that this is our plan A, that yeah. we're, we're living what is meant to be. Yeah. So Marnie, before we wrap up the show, just wanted to ask you, where can people find you? You know, as you shared your story and this resonates and you're a life coach now, how can folks find you now? Yeah. So I'm online. My website is MarniBound.com. So it's W www.marnibown.com gets mixed up with brown a lot when people first see it but yeah marniebound.com and then on there that's where i have my story i post on 
Instagram under at Marnie Bound, which is public, and then also Facebook. And that's often where people reach out and message that maybe don't want to be seen, that they're following me maybe on Instagram, but they're able to message me through that or email through MarnieBound at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. And so in the bonus content, we are going to talk more with Marnie and her new man, Mark, right? And talk about where you are now and in, in that journey. So listeners, join us for that. If you want to know how to become an outsider, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. And you can one-time donation, annual donation, monthly donation, and that'll get you access to all of our bonus content. So before we jump into that bonus content, Marnie, as a listener to the show, you know that we always end with a song. If there was a song that you would want to put out there into the world that maybe encapsulates your story or encapsulates your recovery, your redemption, what would that song be for you? Yeah, so for me, I know you guys are big on gospel music, and so uh, broken. We're in... big on all music. Yes, well, we I like had, all the music. Yeah. I had well, the "Wide Awake" by Katy Perry for me. I love just because I felt like that was me just getting dropped out of the sky, hitting the concrete, and you know, but powerful. But I really do love this "Broken and Beautiful" by Callie Reed, and uh, surprisingly, the song came out way early, like when it would have been really beneficial to me. But I just recently heard her speak and she played her video and I was so impressed. I I was weeping because she makes reference to the kintsugi, which is the, the special technique that they have with the broken pottery and they use the gold lacquer to reattach every, all the pieces together to make it so that it's whole. But she in one part takes a uh, face and she throws it to the ground and it is shattered and then she gets down on her knees and to me that was me and how I saw my life in that first big d-day and not knowing how the pieces would get all put back together and so I actually love this song even more now because I feel like I am a different refined person that's still the same it's still me but healed different whole version of myself just like with uh, all the gold lining with in it all as the well. gold lining yep so that would be my song yeah. awesome thanks so much again thank you for listening please follow us on all of our social media at unashamed unafraid rate us on itunes five stars please that is how the world will find us and how we populate in search bars so again please become an outsider as well we you know help us with this movement and get the word out there so that people can continue to hear about the amazing stories like Marnie's here today. And so with that, we will leave you with Broken and Beautiful by Callie Reed. When the light shines through me, all the broken pieces reflect his light. It's a beautiful sight. All the scars and spaces where the battles hurt me. Let more light in, flood me with him. You may see flaws in me. I'm not perfect, but I was never meant to be. Keep your view of your perfect world. 
Never meant to be that girl. 